0: Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. The reason you invest is to make a return. So what kind of return should you be expecting and what we could arguably say is the best buyer's market in our lifetime? Well, that's what we'll talk about today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Hey, Russ, wake up. We've got a show to do.
1: Huh? Oh, sorry. I was just having the most awesome dream. I found low-cost rental properties that cash flow in a strong job market with prices that didn't fall through the floor during this Great Recession.
0: Wow, that is awesome. But, you know, you don't have to dream to find a market like that. We're going on a field trip there in just a few weeks.
1: Really? Where are we going? To
0: Dallas, Texas. It's a huge market with great infrastructure and lots of people. Prices are low and rents are strong. And with today's low interest rates, properties cash flow great. And did you know Dallas is projected in the top three of all job markets for 2010? Plus, Texas is the number one rated state for doing business.
1: That's amazing. When is it?
0: That's the best part. It's up to you. We have several dates scheduled, so you can go when it's convenient for your schedule. No matter which weekend you pick, there'll be tours of different submarkets and property types and meetings with local experts, including developers, agents, and property managers.
1: That sounds great.
0: Well, hurry up and register, because space on field trips is always limited. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on Events or call 888-GUYS-RADIO for more information. That's realestateguysradio.com or... Eighty-eight Guys Radio. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Today on the show, we're going to talk about return on investment. What is a reasonable return to uh, make today as a real estate investor? The answer, of course, is it depends and what it depends on is the topic of our show. Let's meet the guys, our financial strategist co-host, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. Hey there. And the man we call the godfather of real estate because he's been investing in uh, seven different decades, Bob Helms. Robert Russ, good to be
2: here with you today.
0: You know, we had a great show uh, last week talking about uh, the headlines and what was happening with uh, you know the big picture in real estate, uh, home uh, builder confidence is up and pending sales were up, but mortgage resets were uh, coming and uh, rates were on the rise and all kinds of uh, information and it kind of ended with this, well, what, what do we what do, we do with that information? And so uh, today we're going to kind of piggyback on that and say, all right, you're a real estate investor. That means you're investing for a return. Arguably, returns are down today when we look at just market appreciation, but that doesn't mean you're out of the game. Where are there good cash flows? What is a reasonable expectancy in terms of return? And what about risk versus reward? That's what we're going to talk about uh, today. So I think, first of all, we have to understand what we say when we talk about a return on your investment
1: yeah there's different components that make up the return and you know accountants will tell you it's called internal rate of return that term always confused me so I just always call it total return and total return is uh, all the different pieces so for example with real estate we make money in real estate four basic ways we have the cash flow on operation so you have money out money in and if you're positive then that's a positive return you have the amortization which every month you're paying off the loan using the tenants money and so that's profit to you and so a percentage of that mortgage payment is actually a a, a return on investment to you uh... the other part is depreciation and as a full-time professional real estate investor you're entitled to take uh... deductions of all your different expenses and uh... the big thing is that we like about depreciation is it's a phantom expense in other words you get a deduction on your current tax liability without having to put any cash out and uh, maybe as we go through we'll explain that a little bit more and then the fourth one is appreciation, which uh, if you guys remember back in uh, recent history or ancient history now, uh, used to be that when you bought a piece of property, it went up in value. <laughs> so
0: Yeah, for 38 years in a row, the uh, median home price across America went up every year. And then that all changed, as we know, a couple of, of years ago. Uh, and yet in many markets, uh, it's back. As we reported uh, last week, 91 of 152 MSAs are up year over year in terms of value. Now they're up from a year ago. They're not up from five years ago. Right. So it's all relative.
1: Well, I think the thing about uh, appreciation right now, we call it passive equity because you really don't have to do anything. You just buy the property and hold on to it over the long haul using cash flow from the tenants, assuming it's an income producing property. But you really don't have to do anything. The thing about appreciation is that when you buy at, at peak of a market and you go through a dip, you may have to wait a long time before you actually see appreciation based on your entry point if you wait long enough i think you could make the argument in almost any kind of a market because of the inflationary nature of our economy over the long haul and we're talking decades you're going to be fine and even if you overpaid today and somebody else ends up paying it completely off in thirty years do you really care the answer is no but when you're in a market like this where you could say hey maybe all the bottom isn't out but most of it is right a lot of the downside a in lot, most markets a, is out a yeah. lot of the downside is out so the possibility or maybe even the probability is over the long haul, uh, you're going to see a degree of appreciation. You may not see double-digit appreciation year over year like we used to see in many markets, uh, but it's conceivable you could see a steady 2 or 3%. Typically, housing appreciates just a little bit more than the economy.
0: Okay. So understand the four ways we make money in real estate and they don't all apply to every real estate investment. For instance, let's say that I like to invest in raw land, which by the way, I do. I invest in land and three or four years later, I've added some entitlements. Maybe the city's done some work. Maybe the path of progress is there because I picked right and it's worth more and I sell it at a profit. Awesome. Did I make any money from cash flow on my land? Nope, not at all. Did I make any money for amortization on my land? Nope. Probably not because I can't generally buy a big chunk of, of land for with, with a loan uh, unless I have a major business plan and there's money available, which is really not today. So, so probably not any money through, through amortization. Did I make money through appreciation? we hope so yeah mm-hmm. if in this scenario there I, I did but it's not just market appreciation it's not because we stood by and let the market give us equity. It's because I talked about there were some things I did I got some entitlements maybe I did some subdividing and so when we talk about the different ways we make money in real estate just understand they don't always apply you said earlier assuming there's someone paying the rent well is that an assumption we can make today if I'm always. gonna buy a cash flow property I might right uh, we just uh, got back from our annual investors summit with uh, Ken McElroy, Ken, was uh, on the trip and talked uh, specifically about what they do in B-class apartments, which is they buy in areas where they think there's good durability of rents, but where the particular property has problems. They love buying problems. They just bought a property that's 40% occupied. Now, is their expectation to keep it 40% occupied? Well, no, they're <laughs> management experts, so they're gonna get it up to 85 or 90% occupied. And now that very same physical asset is worth more because the cash flows have increased. So lots of different things playing depending on the type of investment you're gonna invest in.
2: They absolutely understand their marketplace, and that's the key to doing this. One of the things you touched on, Russ, a moment ago was the duration. What's the plan? How long? And how long is the magic number when you're calculating your return? Particularly if you're in a market that isn't instantly and obviously going up. So you may have to go through, in the, in the example of Ken McElroy and their properties, they come in and refurbish those properties and they do it with the idea that they're going to hold on to them. Although if the opportunity presents itself to sell them, go to a better property, that's what they'll do. But but it isn't going up from the moment you get it. So you've got to have a plan that says here long here's how long it's going to take me to do whatever refurbishing I have to do. I understand the market. Here's how long it'll take me to get the tenant base filled up and get this on the curve I want it to be on.
0: Well yeah and, and again at that high level, I mean these folks, uh Ken and his partner Ross been doing this many, many, many years. They deal in hundreds of millions of dollars and have thousands and thousands of units. And if you'd like to have dinner with Ken McElroy, we'll tell you how you can do that before we're done on today's program. <laughs> That's just so you'll stay listening. Uh, but <laughs> every type of real estate's different, right? If you're investing in something very passively, it might be different than if you're investing actively. Whether you treat your real estate investing as a business, someone who does hand-on rehabs of houses, versus someone that, say, invests in a real estate investment trust, where they're completely handing over their dollars to a third-party professional to manage. So that's the big it depends when it comes to what your returns are. But understanding total return is crucial. This is, I'm going to invest a certain amount of money, and I expect a return over time. And a big part of it has to do with what your skill sets are and what your time horizon is and what and what you have to work with.
1: Yeah, so we've identified these four basic concepts, some of which will be present. Uh, some may not all be present, but again, appreciation, amortization, cash flow, and depreciation.
0: And just so you know we're going, But before we're done, we're going to go through some different case studies of different types of investments with reasonable expectancies of, of return numbers. So it's not just all going to be theory today.
1: Right. We're in the uh, no investor left behind mode, so we're just trying to set the table. So within the scope of appreciation, we've coined some phrases to help us determine exactly what our investment strategy or philosophy is. So we've talked about this concept of passive equity, which we say is appreciation that happens because you own the property and the inflation in the general economy just makes the property go up in value. Let
0: the market do the work.
1: Let the market do the work. We love that, uh, but you can't control that. And control is going to be an operative word. And deciding how we're going to approach into a different marketplace. Uh, another type we call is forced equity. And that's that's when you really do take control over it. Robert talked about getting entitlements on a piece of raw land or building something uh, that wasn't there before or rehabbing. You know, most people who get started in real estate think I'm going to buy a junkie house and fix it up. You talk about Ken McElroy buying an under managed or junkie, if you will, uh, apartment building and fixing it up. The concepts are the same. The numbers are a lot different, but the concepts are basically the same. Uh, so we have that type of equity. Another type of equity we talk about is the phased equity and phased equity is a very very interesting concept and we broke it out again as a separate category because uh, this is a way for you to get passive equity but it's based on someone else's effort and this is where a developer will come in and they may decide they're gonna build a certain number of units whatever it is and they're gonna take it out in phases so the first phase will be a certain number of units and then the next phase will come out and when they do the first phase They need to get sales early on for cash flow reasons, to make the lender happy. Momentum. Momentum, have critical mass for the contractors. There's a lot of incentives for them to come out with lower prices in the first phase. The reverse of that is, is that they have a lot of incentive to get higher prices in the subsequent phases because that's where they're going to see their profit. And so, if you understand that and you pick a developer who's got a viable project in a viable marketplace, who's got a good marketing plan and a good marketing budget and a track record of making it happen, you can purchase a property early in the phase. And again, this is somewhat speculative because you don't have a lot of control over it. I mean, you can go in there and, and, you know, buy the upgrades and then you can go in and do some stuff and fix it up to make it the best possible property. But you've got, you're really relying upon this guy to go out and and push the market and push the prices. Because at the end of the day, two years later, when the whole development is done, there isn't a significant difference between somebody who bought first phase and last phase in terms of the resale markets. Valuation of the property, right? But you're going to have those two years worth of him pushing those prices up to get his price. So we call that phased equity.
0: And when you talk about him, it's usually not a guy in a pickup truck. It's usually a company that has wherewithal and ability and credibility. Yeah,
1: usually. The last one we is amortized equity, and we mentioned this earlier, so we'll spend a lot of time on it. But when the mortgage payment is being made using the income from the property that's coming from the tenant. That isn't an expense to you. It's actually a profit center to you. Right. In the house
0: you live in, you've got amortization, but you're paying it. Correct. But when your tenant's paying it, then you owe less every month, and so therefore you've got more equity. And it's not the last equity. It's not my favorite equity. My favorite equity is found equity. Right. Found equity is when you buy something that has value that maybe the seller didn't understand, or because of your unique position, you have the ability to create value out of it, and it's like a free gift.
2: Like the property with 40% occupancy.
0: Right, found equity yeah. to Kenny, right, because he looks at that and goes, perfect. The existing seller has a terrible problem they don't know how to, to solve and they just have to get rid of it, which is a great situation when you have the skills uh, necessary. All right, so that gives us kind of a a basic understanding of what return means. We come back, we're gonna talk a little about risk versus reward. Then we'll go through uh, some case studies, some ideas on what you might invest in today. Uh, Just ideas and information, we have nothing to sell you. We're just gonna talk about uh, what different returns might be based on opportunities in today's real estate marketplace. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Hi, this is Robert Helms. As a real estate investor, you know you need to be concerned about asset protection. When an investor asks me about the litigation explosion in America and what they can do to better protect their real estate assets, I like to refer them to Corporate Direct. Equity happens, but it can be limited without solid asset protection in place. And Corporate Direct protects your assets. Corporate Direct is owned and operated by Garrett Sutton. He's an attorney, best-selling author, and one of Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad advisors. Garrett and his staff are knowledgeable, helpful, and surprisingly affordable. And I know I've used Corporate Direct and have been exceedingly satisfied with their service. They're on the web at CorporateDirect.com, or you can call them at 1-800-600-1760. That's CorporateDirect.com or 1-800-600-1760. You know you need asset protection for your real estate, so visit CorporateDirect.com or 1-800-600-1760. Find them on the resource page at RealEstateGuysRadio.com. That's CorporateDirect.com. Hi, this is Kendra Todd, winner of The Apprentice, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. If you're a new listener, welcome. You can go to our website at realestateguysradio.com and hear the last few shows. Easy thing to do, sign up on iTunes to get the podcast, and we'll just come to you uh, every week. And there we are when you're ready. Middle of the night, first thing in the morning, during your workout, where The Real Estate Guys are there for you. We're talking today uh, about returns on investment. Uh, If you're an investor, you're going to do that typically for a return. Now, many of you uh, who've invested in the last few years might have got bit, ow, and uh, and lost some money. That's no good. But uh, we're in arguably one of the best buyer's markets there is. So uh, what makes sense and what kind of returns can you get? You can get 2% returns in today's market. You can get 50% returns in today's market. It kind of depends on you, your personal investment philosophy, and what's your risk tolerance how much risk versus how much reward
1: you know it always comes down to that and uh, there is no magic formula but the and the basic principle is that the more risk you're willing to take the more reward you need to have to make it worthwhile but it doesn't necessarily mean that the more risk you take the greater your reward will be or vice versa.
0: This is what I love about real estate. It may be true about other investments, right? You take a risk, you buy a riskier mutual fund and it may have highs and may have lows. In real estate, it's all about perceived risk. If you don't understand a particular type of investment in real estate, then it seems risky to you, right? People say, well, isn't it risky to invest outside of the United States? Well, it is if you don't know anything about investing outside of the United States. To me, some of the least risky investments I have are outside of the United States right right now. But that's because I've spent the last seven years getting educated about other countries and other marketplaces. And frankly, personally, those of us in this room... Our rear ends have been saved by investing outside of the U.S. during the last three years, right? So we have a perspective on that. But there are people who are just frightened to death of investing outside of the U.S. So that might be risky to you. How do you get through that risk? Understanding, education, mitigate through your knowledge and your uh, connections and figuring out what the game's about investing in real estate derivatives people did that and it got burned but if you understood it there were people that made money so the basic premise is you've got to understand what you're investing in
1: that is really the key you you can go buy gold and mutual funds and stocks and invest in your company 401 K like people did at Enron and you can still get killed so the big risk isn't the investment it's the investor and that's what this whole show, that's what The Real Estate Guys is all about, is trying to help people uh, understand how to develop themselves as investors. And so it's getting the education, it's availing yourself of the information, it's taking the time to think, it's networking with people that are into it like you are and learning from them. It's watching and studying and developing your skill set because it, one of the big things is is that in the, in, in the real estate market of a few years ago, anybody could buy any property and for the most part, Uh, It was all up. It was all sunny. And what they found out was factors way, way, way outside of their control, like what was going on in the derivatives markets and uh, the mortgage-backed securities markets at Wall Street was about ready to wipe out tons of equity and properties and take mortgages away and create a, a near collapse of the banking system. We could go on and on about all that. None of those things were in the individual investor's control. And I think the big lesson coming out of all of that was You need to know what you're doing, number one. And number two, you want to try to position yourself where you're getting involved in investments where you have a high degree of control. This is one of the big dangers in my opinion in investing in the stock market is you have very little control. Now coming back to the concept of risk versus reward, in a very perfect market, a lot of the risk is factored into the pricing. And so maybe some of the adage about Uh, higher risk, higher reward ratios apply. But again, Robert, to your point, there are so many imperfections in the real estate market and the way real estate trades because it is so intricately involved with human beings. And human beings are unique. Their situations are unique. Their personalities are unique. There's a lot of emotion. The logistics of moving or developing, uh, all of the transactional logistics of trying to get a transaction done. All of those things create a huge array of imperfections and because of that you can actually make some very high reward investments that are very very low risk.
0: Yeah absolutely and and again that's understanding it and, and having an expertise as well. You don't have to know it yourself. That's one of the other great secrets of real estate. You can borrow expertise, borrow credibility, borrow relationships depending on how you get into this game. And we'll talk about that as we go through some of the various scenarios today.
2: I just think that that's the real key to it. In fact, you've got to always start someplace. Education's the most important thing. I mean, that's all we do is we preach education here. And that's because we've learned that if you aren't educated it will often be painful. Yeah, how did we learn that, Bob? (laughs) Uh, That was the hard way. (laughs)
0: Yes, indeed. Yes, the school of very hard knocks. Uh, And and that's the the thing about investing is that you're not going to get it all right. You're not going to bat 1,000. Nobody does. If you got into 10 investments and four went well and six didn't, you'd probably be above average. That would be in baseball and our uh, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, right? 400, what does it look like? 600, you'd be
1: batting. six RBI,
0: you... runs batted in? No, yeah. that's not it.
1: No, well, just your batting average. Batting
0: average. Yeah, your batting 400%. average. How many times do
1: you get on base when you when you come up to bat? And if you can get it there four out of ten times, uh, yeah, 400 batting average will put you in the Hall of Fame if you keep that up over a career. All right, so
0: let's talk uh, specifics. Let's say the least risky, least hands-on involvement there is it would be putting your money in a certificate of deposit with the bank right wouldn't that be well actually Maybe. i think
1: most people consider uh government u.s government backed t-bonds t- yeah, to be like all right the, right that it, might be the
0: lowest possible
1: risk lowest allegedly the lowest possible risk at least in terms of loss of principal, allegedly uh and because of that it pays typically the very lowest return and then everything else kind of emanates out like that like a ripple effect the, the, you, so if your
0: return was say one percent that was your return safe Safe, safe, safe. Not going to lose your principal, allegedly, but you're not going to lose your principal. You're going to make 1% on your money. Are you keeping up with inflation? No. Right. So you're actually losing money in that Correct. scenario. In your safe 1% or 2 or even 3% return scenario, inflation's more than that typically. So over the long haul, you're not really making any money. What you're doing is preserving principal, which if you worked hard to make the money, maybe that feels good to you. As investors, though, I'm not even going to classify that person as an investor. Because they're not investing. They're not making a return. Right. In order to make a return, you're going to want to see something that's better than inflation.
1: Yeah, because in that scenario, you're effectively putting your money in a mattress. And and so, you, you know, you don't want to do that. And if interest rates rise, then the value of the underlying bond actually goes down. And then your principal does get re- diminished if you ended up having to sell the bond. So it's 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 everybody says it's risk-free but it's not risk-free and again the things that are gonna affect it you don't have control over so the reason we like real estate uh, as as kind of a, a core is because when you look at real estate and there's a lot of different ways to play real estate that we're gonna be talking about it's not just buying a property I mean there's the paper on the property there's there's options there's all kinds of different ways to play it but but at the end of the day it's for most people they can look at it, they understand it, they don't need a lot of training. I mean, there you do need some training, but it's not the same level of training you need to run a company or interpret a balance sheet or read a prospectus. Uh and because of that, the other part of it is is there's a number of things you can personally take first-hand control over and make things happen on your property that can improve your return.
0: Well, and that's again up to you whether or not you're the investor that wants to have hands-on control or if you're willing to give up control in exchange for, you know, ease and and peace and less work to do and and all of that so all right so before we get off the put my money in the bank bank failures let's talk about (laughs) bank failures for a minute this used to not be something we'd even discuss you wouldn't think about a bank failing well i'm not going to put money in a cd because the bank might go out of business
1: yeah we've actually had two banks that we've done business with that that both failed so i mean it's like that gets a little scary it's kind of close to home but i checked the stats and in 2007 when all of this was just beginning to develop we had three bank failures in the united states Okay. In 2008, that increased by 800% wow. to 25 bank failures in 2008. In 2009, there were 140 bank failures. That's not cumulative. That's just that year. So three the year before, 25 the following year, and then 140. So that's like up to 168 or whatever the number is. Big jump. In, in 2010 through like the end of May, 78... Bank failures, which if that continues, would put us on a pace to be about hundred and sixty or so in in two thousand ten. So you say, well, yeah, but that's okay because it's it's guaranteed. Well, yeah, it's guaranteed up to a certain amount. It used to be one hundred thousand, now it's two hundred and fifty thousand and it's not per account, the unless FDIC you have different it. banks. The FDIC yeah. insurance. And the other issue is the FDIC insurance fund is really maxed out right Weak. now. Yeah. So effectively what you're doing is you're you're being subsidized by future taxes that you're going to be paying. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's okay, so I didn't lose my principal, but uh, the banks aren't paying much as far as uh, as as returns and, you know, you look at that and you say, well, fundamentally something is wrong and at some point you can't underwrite every single bank, right? Right. So I think you got to go back to the old system where you actually had to look at the bank and you had to understand its financial strength and its wherewithal. And this is a skill that most people who are alive today don't even have. Right. You know, when you go to buy an insurance policy, theoretically, you're supposed to look at the ratings of the insurance company because it's not guaranteed by the government. So you have to understand I'm paying money for a contract where these people are making a promise to pay me if I die or if I get sick or if I get sued or whatever it is that promise is only as good as the person making the promise and really when you go put your money in the bank it's not sitting in a vault somewhere for you they're going to go out and put it at risk and apparently a lot of them have lost making those uh, investments and so then the question is is how strong is really my guarantee and so i
0: think that's really the big picture is that what you might have considered to be extremely low risk three years ago is still probably low risk, but it's not as low of a risk as it once was. There were people in those bank uh, failures that you talked about who did not get all of their money back. Right. There were people who lost money. Now, obviously the, the people who only had 50 or $60,000 in the bank, probably got their money back. But over the FDIC limits, there were people that got back 50 cents on the dollar.
1: When IndyMac went down, the limits were 100. And it, you know, people who had over that only got 50 cents on the dollar. On everything over 100, then the FDIC came in to try and stimulate, you know, a sense of security, which is the whole reason it was created after the Great Depression to create uh, confidence in the banking system. And they increased the insurance amount to 250,000. But again, you know, if you're one of these guys that has a million bucks, two million bucks, three million dollars, it's a real challenge to figure out where can I put my money where it's going to be safe from both inflation and from loss. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, so there's <laughs> so
0: many issues today. And of course, a lot of real estate went down in value a ton as a result of all this. And and so yet yeah, we're now at a place where, as we talked about last week, in 29, the market's already double-digit appreciation in the last year. So there's starting to be healthy signs. And, and uh, we certainly see that there's gonna be a need for real estate. It solves an actual need. People have to live under a roof. Or under a bridge, and uh, we're building more bridges, so maybe there'll be more housing there. But, uh, right, so yeah, there's gonna be a need for for real estate. So then, as an investor, you've gotta decide, all right, given all that, I think real estate is a good long term investment. Man, it'd be my only investment. I might invest in stocks, and obviously, the stock market it depends on your degree of control, too, right? A lot of people got killed in the stock market because they weren't in control. You know, I have a friend who that's all he does, he day trades and he does pretty well but not every month, right? He has months, he loses, but he's paying attention to it all the time. And that is a lot, it's a tall order. Most people don't wanna be doing that. Well, that's a job. It's a job. Yeah. And you can make real estate a job, right? As as we've done, or you can elect not to. So when we come back, we're gonna go through some case studies of some things you might do today and what that might look at in terms of risk and reward. What ROI might you expect in various types of real estate uh, investments today? We're also going to play Real Estate Trivia. Stay with us. A chance for you to win a prize. I'm your host, Robert Helms, and we're the Real Estate Guys. Please. Hello, Robert Kiyosaki. Listen to the real estate guys. They're wild and crazy, but they really know what they're talking about. Thanks, Robert. Welcome back to the real estate guys radio program. Heard every weekend on this fine radio station and all the time at realestateguysradio.com. Check out our website. Lots there Our our blog and our postings and uh, you can access the last few weeks of shows and lots of good stuff. We're talking this week about return on investment. Uh, Yogi Berra said, I'm not concerned about the return on my investment as much as as the return of my investment, Uh, both are important, but uh, what kind of ROIs are possible? Right now, it is possible to get something for nothing. It's time to play Real Estate Trivia. This is your chance to win a copy of our book, Equity Happens, Building Lifelong Wealth with Real Estate. By knowing today's real estate trivia question, now we're gonna give away two copies of the book. The first one goes to the fastest person on the keyboard, the first person to send us the right answer to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Make sure you include your name and mailing address so we can physically send you this large 500 plus page book. Uh, then the second uh, prize goes to, also a copy of the book, uh, goes to uh, the person whose name we draw out of the hat. See, lots of people don't listen on the radio. They listen on the MP3 or on our site or on iTunes podcast. And so if you listen one of those ways, you can still win a prize. We take all the correct answers for the week and have a drawing for another autograph copy of uh, Equity Happens. So that's how it works. Last week on the show, we asked you which country is the largest producer of Cork. Cork with a C, not pork with a B. Cork, which is the largest uh, producer of cork in the country of Portugal, uh, is the answer. So uh, there you go. Very useful trivia question. This week, here is our uh, trivia question. Louisiana is the only state in the United States that does not have counties. There are no counties in the state of Louisiana. Instead, its political subdivisions are called something else. What are they? If you know or want to take a guess, you can send it to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. And the first person with the right answer when an autographed copy of Equity happens, we'll have a drawing from all the correct answers of the week for another copy. So that's it. Uh, Louisiana doesn't have counties. What does it have instead? That's today's real estate trivia question. So let's talk about return on investment as real estate investors. Those of us sitting in this room know that amazing returns are possible, and uh, we've seen them. But we also know that uh, it's... Sometimes like finding the needle in the haystack. So before we go through some of the specific case studies, I think let's just start with the basic case study of buying a property with some leverage and looking at how the different components of return stack up, right? Today you have people say, well, anything that pays more than 10% is too risky. Is that true? Well, let's do the numbers and uh, do the math, Russ.
1: Yep, do the math, and the math will tell you what to do. That's one of my favorite sayings. So I just picked a hypothetical property, about $125,000. I figured 80% loan, so I'm putting $25,000 down.
0: Okay, so 20% down and uh, 80% loan, so pretty I've doable a, today. i got a
1: $100,000 loan. Okay, so my return on investment is going to be calculated on the 25000
0: How much cash you put in your cash, cash on cash I return. How much cash I put in.
1: So, you know, a lot of times people compare, for example, the stock market with no leverage to the real estate market with leverage. They compare the price of a house to the price of a stock. But that's not exactly the same, because as we're going to find out in a minute, leverage magnifies both your appreciation and your depreciation. Yes. Or, or lack not, of appreciation. Yeah, lack of appreciation. Or
0: Well, to a degree. But you look at this. If you bought that say, the scenario, not to get too off track, but you put 20% down, 80%, the price of that house drops in half. You haven't lost half. Nope. You've only lost the, the 20%. It limits your downside, limits your and downside. that's
1: the other big part of leverage that people forget. you know, And people, of course, are seeing that today because in situations where they absolutely doesn't make sense to hold on, they can give the house back and they lose their equity, but they don't have to pay the loan, depending. And of course, it's if it's a recourse loan, that's a different scenario, we won't get into all that now. Anyway, so I've got this $25,000 down on this $125,000 property. I've got $100,000 uh, at 6.5% debt alone. Yep. uh, Yeah. So if I am uh, at six and a half percent, I'm paying off $90 a month amortization. In other words, every month when I make that monthly payment, $90 pays off the principal. Most
0: is interest, but part is the principal. Correct. The interest
1: is tax deductible. The amortization is not tax deductible. It's actually profit to me. But it's, that's okay. Okay. I like amortized
0: that. equity. So do the math. How much amortized, amortized equity. equity am I making? So
1: that's 1085 a month, and you divide that by a year. Your, uh, no a month. year. A year. Yeah. $90.40 a month, $1,085 a year. Divide that by 25000 It's 4.3% growth on your equity just from the amortization.
0: Right now, when we understand we're doing round numbers. here. So amortization does change as the loan goes on.
1: It actually gets better it gets better as better the more. loan goes on. Yeah. So that's the worst case scenario. You're going to start out at 4.3%. Okay. Let's right. assume this hypothetical property after you pay all your expenses and everything, you've collected the rent, done everything you got to do, you have $100 a month positive cash flow. Okay. All right. That's $1,200 a year. Probably doable
0: in many markets today. Not all and not most, but many.
1: More doable because of the low interest rates and the low price to high rent ratio that we have in, yep. in, in many markets. That's a 4.8%. So you're already just between amortization and the positive cash flow, two of the four components, we're pushing a little over 9%. Okay. Okay. So that's that's a pretty good return. And these things are both relatively within your control. You're not counting on the property going up in value. You're just going to operate your business, collect the rent, and make sure you manage your expenses and produce $100 a month positive cash flow. Okay. We're going to completely leave depreciation out of the discussion, even though you could make the argument that uh, you'd be eligible to take some of it and maybe against other income, whatever, but let's just leave it out. It's confusing and there's
0: recapture and all those things. So hard to do on the this, radio. Yeah, hard doing the radio. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, but we are going to talk about leverage. So let's just say that you've bought this property in a marketplace and you're going to get what is very conservative long-term over 10, 20 years appreciation of on average 2%. A year
0: okay so we're assuming two percent increase in price or value of the property annually Okay. Right. okay that's conservative
1: right but historically
0: because- it's more like six percent but times are different it's two percent okay well we I'll had a you. big
1: bubble where it went way past that and now it's come down underneath that I think a lot of people could look at the trend line and say we basically have gotten back to the trend line and over the long term it's likely because markets always tend to return to the mean that we're gonna get back to that four to six percent annual appreciation but to be conservative we're gonna call it two percent but we only put twenty percent down which means we're controlling five parts of property with only one part of down payment so we have five to one leverage so that leverage magnifies that two percent times five and actually gives us ten percent now we don't have any control over that so in this case half of our return is coming from amortization and positive cash flow things that we do have control over as we manage our property and the other half of it, the other 10 percent is coming from market appreciation which we don't necessarily have any control over okay now we're not talking about i could paint it i could fix it up i could do something to add value so this is this is a very simplistic example but you add all that up over a 10 or 20 year period of time and you're looking at a little over 19 percent annualized growth on your $25,000 in a very conservative scenario and this is the thing people don't understand about real estate well, real estate's only going up two percent exactly and I just showed you at two percent you it's actually nineteen percent so you can literally create ten times the market appreciation just by putting together a fairly conservative investment alright but it gets one step better after a period of time there may be enough equity in the property that you could refinance the property and take your $25,000 off the table. Now, what's your return? Any dollar you get now- Infinite return. Is infinite, it's free money. This Got is a good number. your chips off the table, yeah. This is what Ken McElroy talks about all the time. What they do is they'll go buy the apartment building and they'll fix it up and they'll get the rents up and then they'll stabilize it and then they'll go back and they'll refinance the property at, at a, a conservative loan to value, but they've added so much equity to the property through their effort. So if you took the same scenario and made it a fixer upper you could do the same thing on a much smaller scale. And once your money's off the table, you can repeat the process or you can park the money and just just ride it and see where it goes.
0: All right. Well, based on that hypothetical, we're going to go through a bunch of actual case studies. So these are, are all actual properties that are in play or have been in the last quarter. So this is very current information. Just to give you an idea, there's nothing magic about these particular properties or uh, the estimated returns, but we're going to make some assumptions as we go through. So the first case study, we're going to call a typical fourplex. Uh, this is a fourplex that we uh, We know of an investor who's got this property uh, in contract and it's about to close on. Back in the day 2005 this fourplex might have sold for nearly $300,000. He's in contract today and this is not a fourplex that needs a lot of work. It's in pretty decent shape but he's in contract today for $140,000. Right, It's for four units. The rent per unit, these are all uh, two bedroom, one bathroom units and the rent in this marketplace uh, ranges between 500 and 600 but we're gonna say $500 a unit. So you can imagine there's a lot of marketplaces where a two bedroom, one bathroom unit inside a fourplex rents for 500 grand. And this is a a large uh, metropolitan marketplace. So at $500 unit times four units, that's $24,000 of annual income gross. If every unit was rented all the time, which it never will be, but that's just the case. So we calculate something called gross rent multiplier. That is what the income looks like compared to the price. And here the GRM is under 6, 5.8. Good GRM, Bob? Very
2: good. We'll talk about those all the time.
0: Yeah, so a, so a 6GRM is a decent GRM. If we assume 50% expenses, now what are your expenses on a property like this? You're going to have uh, your maintenance expense, management expense. You're going to have common area utilities. You're going to have taxes, those types of expenses. We're going to say in this case they're 50% of the income. Now, in a highly, you know, transitional market, which this probably is with professional management, 50%, I think is a pretty conservative number, but also probably fairly realistic. You see these performers all the time at 27% expenses, but that's
2: probably not adequate. And those expenses count everything except a mortgage payment, correct?
0: Yeah. So when we get to the next number, which is the cap rate, the capitalization rate, don't be confused by that. We explain it in our book, lots of places where you can learn cap rate, but it is basically uh, a return number that doesn't factor in the the leverage. And so you may buy this property for all cash or you may get it debt serviced. And if you do decide to use leverage, as we talked about a minute ago, there's some reasons to do that. Uh, But in this case, 50% expenses and those numbers that we talked about, um, this is a a cap rate of eight and a half. So that's a decent cap rate today. What kind of return on investment can you expect? Now, you have to layer over that the things Russ talked about. If there is a loan, what does that turn into cash on cash return? What about assuming some appreciation over time and what's that gonna do to your your total return? But just on a a cash flow basis before debt service, cap rate of 8.5. All right, pretty good. That's pretty good. that involves being able to look at a marketplace and decide that this makes sense. Now, one of the things we like about fourplex units is they still uh, qualify for uh, traditional financing. And so they're one to four unit loans, right? And you have a break when it comes to vacancy because not likely you're gonna have all four units vacant at one time. You might have some vacancy. If I bought a, a, say a single family house, uh, a property for 140, it's either 100% occupied or 100% vacant. And so if you're relying on that income to come in, it can get really shaky on those months where you don't have a tenant. With a fourplex, you might have one or even two vacancies, but if you have decent management, if you picked a good location, you're probably at least going to have some some level of occupancy
1: and the other thing too is when you get four units you say oh yeah but what happens if there's a flood or a fire or whatever you can purchase loss of rents insurance which means that in that type of a situation you're going to get your rents from the insurance company anyway so in case you're thinking oh if something happens like that then i could be 100 percent empty not likely
0: so you know and then there's properties like that all over the place so we were driving through on our uh, field trip in dallas last month and we saw a a cardboard sign with a guy selling a fourplex for $110,000, right, with a marker and a number to call. It's like, well, they're all over the place. Uh, all right, next case study is a, uh, a rehab. This is a gentleman who's going through a single-family rehab now. He bought this property uh, in a decent uh, area for $85,000, thinks the market's about one seventy, and has put in approximately $40,000 worth of, of work. So let's assume that he sells it at 175000 hundred and seventy five thousand. He's gonna actually list it at one seventy nine nine, hoping to net one seventy. But let's say he gets one seventy five, His estimated his closing costs and, and commissions and so forth at about sixteen K. Uh, so not quite ten percent, but about sixteen thousand dollars. Nets him a one fifty nine price. He put one twenty five into it, the eighty five plus the forty, so that's a thirty-four thousand dollar profit. All right, that's a return, uh, a gross return of, of 27.2%. Is that a good return?
1: Yeah, assuming he paid cash for the property.
0: Well, exactly. And in this case, he did. This is a pure cash deal. Now, if you were able to get a loan on it, you have all kinds of problems with the rehab property versus, versus the collateral and, and minimum loan amounts and all those kind of things. Uh, in this case, it's a cash deal. But you okay, well, that's a good return. How long did it take? If it took a whole year, that's a 27% return. Right. But also, guess who's doing all the work? he is. This is his job. And so you can say, well, it's a return on my money, but it's more than that, it's a return on time. So factoring in total return, you'd also have to say, well, wait a minute, how much time did this guy spend? In in this case, about two solid months of working at the property. So that $34,000 essentially is his, you can look at it as it's his salary for two months worth of work, or is it a return on his hundred dollars $25,000 spent.
1: I think the way you figure that out is you figure out if you were to hire somebody to do the work and you didn't have to touch it at all, then, uh, that, that profit on having someone third party do it is going to be your return on investment as an investor if you do the work yourself and make that your business then that's your profit on your business and you have to understand when you're a business person and when you're an investor they're both fine to be and it's you can be both in real estate but if you really want to understand how fast your money is working versus how hard you're working you can separate them out and it's not that tough
0: all right and then that this is also not a long-term hold so I'm not sure there's a lot of places you can make a lot of money in rehab today, but if you're good at it and you know what you're doing, and this is a guy that that's what, this is what he does, he can bang out a, a, you know six of these in a year, that's a pretty good living. Now you're taking some market risk, and you're, you are got to understand the risks in terms of what the property you get and how much work has to be done, especially because a lot of times when he buys properties, they're foreclosure properties, and you don't typically have the inspections, and you know he's going to guess how much work he has to do, but he could be drastically wrong.
2: Yeah, as a matter of fact, if we look at what his opportunities are, one is that he could be doing something other than this. He could be earning a salary somewhere. But this really is a business, so he has to look at the investment in his tools and his time and uh, his insurance and all those kinds of things.
0: All right. Well, there's a couple of case studies. We come back. We're going to do some more, lots of other uh, case studies and some with higher risk and uh, higher return. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms.
1: put your money in the bank to keep it safe but where does the bank put theirs life insurance did you know wells fargo increased its holdings in life insurance 400 percent from 2008 to 2009 why liquidity safety tax benefits and positive returns sound good let paradigm life show you how to profit from the creative use of one of the most stable financial products of all it's not just for the mega wealthy for a free report, send an email to life at realestateguysradio.com or visit beyourbank.com. Hi, I'm Robert Kiyosaki, and I encourage you to
0: listen to those wild and crazy real estate guys. They're the best, they've working for years, and they know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Check out our website at realestateguysradio.com where you can learn about uh, having dinner with Ken Matheroy. I'm going to tell you about that before we're done, as I uh, promised. We're doing case studies now looking at returns on investment, how much risk versus how much reward. Uh, You don't have to buy property to make a return on real estate. Uh, A good friend of ours is a hard money lender. He's the guy who puts money out privately and uh, makes a return. Typically, what that might look like is you'd be making a first or a second loan on a property to a loan to value of somewhere around 70%, doesn't like to go much higher than that, uh, for a note rate between 10 and 12%, again, depending on the risk. Now, there are riskier notes. If you're in third position, up to 90% LTV, you might get 18%. If you're a first position, a 40% LTV lender, you might get 8%. But this is a way to make a return. Uh, that is fairly predictable, but it's got some measure of risk, right? The underlying property, what are values, what's this person's liquidity and their credit and, and all that. Uh, but a pretty simple way, hands-off way to essentially uh, clip some coupons.
1: You know, there's so many different ways to play with that, but it's basically being the bank, right? You either loan out your own money and just collect interest on it, or what you do is you go out and you find money that uh, other people have and you pay them, a rate and then you loan it out and get a rate plus a little bit and that little bit that spread that arbitrage if you will uh... makes room for you the key is is managing the cash flow and then doing a very good risk assessment and understanding and i think in all of these case studies you know you have to think about okay this is plan a this is what i plan to do and then of course you have to think about what's the plan b if something all right. goes wrong.
0: That's a pretty simple one. Let's look at, uh, this is an interesting one. This is a triple net lease. Now, what's a triple net lease? Basically, that means that the landlord is does not got uh, any responsibility for an increase in taxes, operations, any of that kind of stuff. The tenant is going to pay for essentially all the costs of the property. And it's very common with big, uh, what we call credit tenants, commercial tenants. So this is a brand new construction drugstore. Now it's a big national name, and I'm not gonna tell you the name, but it starts with the W. And uh, this is a 25 year triple net lease structure. So what you're doing as an investor is you're buying the property, the, the, the real estate, the 1.2 acre r- location, and the improvement, the building. It already is built, it's just completed, and this tenant has just signed a 25-year lease. They have assets of over $12 billion, they have an A-plus S&P rating, uh, and they operate over 7,000 locations. And so your investment here isn't to have to find a tenant and get property management and worry about what happens when the plumbing, you know, goes bad at three in the morning. This is just a a simple investment where all you do is collect uh, the money every month. And it looks like a cap rate of about seven, between seven and seven and three quarters, depending on the marketplace and how much you, you invest. So the upside, is that you've got a what we could argue a very good durability of rent a very stable tenant the downside uh is that it's a specific use building and after the end of 25 years then what they're probably going to have an option to renew and they may want to renew uh the other downside is minimum investment four and a half million dollars cash
1: well i can think of about four and a half million reasons why that would be a uh, challenging yeah that could be a <laughs> challenge it doesn't say you
0: couldn't put together an llc and do this kind of investment this is just a particular one that came through this week, but there are lots of these type of triple net investments and there's a lot of national tenants. Uh, we did a case study at Mentoring Club a few months back where we had uh, a fast food restaurant that was from an, an operator that had a great history, owned six other uh, properties, had a huge balance sheet that was willing to pledge, willing to personally guarantee, right, in a marketplace that looked pretty good for this kind of uh, a property. So that's another way, a fairly low way to invest. Then there's real estate syndication. Here's a case study of a uh, development syndication. This is where you're going to put up this particular uh, syndication is $100,000 minimum. So you've, that could come out of an IRA or cash or you could put together dollars. But $100,000 minimum, you need to be an accredited investor to invest in this. So that means there's some requirements in terms of your eligibility. And you're putting your money into a real estate development. There's a construction loan in place. You don't have to qualify for it. It's a limited liability company. So you don't have any liability above your $100,000. It's completely at risk, but that's uh, your return—it's a two-year time frame, and the pro forma return is annualized at 22.3%. Great. So 20% a year. You're let. This is where you leverage somebody else's balance sheet and credibility. Someone else is qualifying for loans. Someone else is putting their relationships to work, and they've got skin in the game, and and so forth. And what you're doing is you are borrowing experience and connections and so forth through syndications so that's about all the time we have today but that gives you an idea of what returns might be depending on what your levels perception of risk is your mission as a real estate investor is to go out and figure out what if that makes sense for you where is there good opportunity? Where is there challenge? And where can you play a role that makes sense in, in today's marketplace? Yeah,
1: to, you know today's really about understanding options and, uh, and then understanding the importance of getting educated. And then uh, once you do that, then you can begin to figure out where you fit in.
0: All right. How do you have dinner with Ken McElroy? He's coming back on the ninth annual Investor Summit at CR Cruise in April of 2011. Get to our website right now at realestateguysradio.com and uh, you can learn all about the summit at C we'll see you next week on the real estate guys program thanks to our listeners our sponsors our great engineer mark and we will see you next week when we'll show you how to make some more equity happen
1: if you're like me and thousands of others you know that the real estate guys radio show is a great source for quality content about investing in real estate but did you know that they also have a book I just finished reading their book equity happens and I was blown away by how much I learned If you're ready to create sustainable wealth through real estate, you need to get Equity Happens. You'll learn, just as I did, about what it takes to prosper in the real estate industry. So don't wait. Make equity happen to you. Order your copy today at equityhappens.com. To sign up for the Real Estate Guys weekly podcast, find a station near you, or to review our past show archives, visit www.realestateguysradio.com.